Yeah, so um, this morning, what we want to look at is a story of Jesus healing the blind man. This is a story um, that actually I felt, I think it must be five or six weeks ago, I felt like it was a story that um, God started to stir something in me about and um, tell me that it was time to preach on. I was actually supposed to talk on this last week um, and we ended up doing our principles of love for a 21st century church, um, which you can catch up with online. And, uh, but it feels even more relevant. It feels perfect for this week. And so what I want to do is go through this story. Some of you might have read it online already, um, but I want to go through this story and just see some of the things that it might say for us at this moment. Um, so um, again, kids, if you're listening to this and there'll be points when you can, um, you might, I'll be telling stories about different things. You might be able to draw the story. Um, but let's start at the beginning, John chapter nine, verse one. And it says this, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, what's going on here is the disciples have this ingrained attitude that somehow God is a sort of God that'll make bad things happen, uh, will punish people if, they, if they've sinned in some way, if they've done something wrong. This, is a, this isn't just a um, thing that's grown up in their, in their own faith, in their Jewish faith, or it's not just a thing you might find even sometimes within our Christian faith. It's, it's kind of inbuilt in our humanity. It's this sort of karma principle that um, says that, well, you just need to keep the gods on side. And if you do the right things and you obey the right rules and you make the right sacrifices, then, then God will be happy with you and God will make everything work out well for you. But if you do things wrong, then God will punish you. And um, so there was all this, you know, it wasn't just about a God. You know, if you go back throughout the civilizations of history, you would have a God of the harvest and you'd have a God of childbirth and you'd have a God of love and you'd have a God of the family and you'd have a God of business and a God of travel and a God of whatever thing you can imagine and you had to make the right sacrifices to the right gods so that life worked out. And the disciples are working on this principle. They're going, well, someone must have done something wrong for this guy to be born blind. Who is it? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus goes, no, 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 neither this man nor his parents sin. That's not the point here. He said, but this is an opportunity for the work of God to be displayed in him and through him. You see, because God is the God of opportunity. God is not the God who afflicts, who makes bad things happen, who makes viruses happen. And this is not some sort of judgment of God on our society. But God will work in this. God will work through this because God is the God who works all things for good. In Romans 8.28, we see it say that God works all things for good for those who love him. But as you will have heard me talk about before, actually, the alternative translation here is that God works together with those who love him, i.e. you and me, to bring good in all situations. God's invitation at this time, in this moment, is there is an opportunity for us to partner with God, to work with God in these really difficult times. There is an opportunity for us to work with God and partner with God to bring good. And I think that is something that we need to um, engage with as a church. Um, one of you sent in a um, scripture um, this week saying, from Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And the sense that actually whilst this virus might be meant for harm, actually God can use this to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives 
lives. Actually, God will work in this. And I think that's a real verse of encouragement. So we'll carry on. As long as it is day, says Jesus, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. How relevant does that scripture seem right now? Night is coming when no one can work. That that feels like quite a present reality, doesn't it? But Jesus is saying, whilst I am in the world, and if Jesus is in us and we are in the world, then Jesus is in the world. Whilst I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So we are the light of the world, in line with that picture that Joe shared, that we're not just a light right in the centre, but and, and this this building will be used for all sorts of things over the coming weeks. But we are light in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, wherever we are, as the church, not just YCC, but as the church, we are light. And so, where whilst we're in this time when no one can work, we are called to be light. It um, seems particularly apt. So after saying this. Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. What a strange story. Jesus decides to make some mud with his saliva in the ground and put it on the guy's eyes and tell him to go and wash, which is an unusual way to heal people. I've not, not something I'm particularly familiar with. I'm not something you see around happening often. But I think there's another point for us here to understand. And I'll try and cover this quickly. But again, children, this might be a story that you want to do some drawings around. There's, um, because Jesus heals people in scripture, we see four stories where Jesus heals people of blindness. And every time he heals them a different way. So there's this, opportunity, this time when they are healed, this guy's healed by mud on his eyes and he needs to go and wash. But then there's another guy where two guys, another time where two guys are healed of blindness. And Jesus touches them and they can see. And then there's another guy who Jesus touches, but he can only partially see. So Jesus touches him a second time and then he can see fully. And then there's another guy and Jesus just says, your faith has healed you. Go and, be, go and see. And the guy, he doesn't touch him, doesn't put mud in his eyes, doesn't anything. And that guy can see. And it led me to think that what would it look like if these guys were going to set up a church afterwards? What would that be like? So maybe the two guys were going to go, oh, do you remember, wasn't that amazing how we were touched by Jesus? We should set up a church and we should, set up, and we should tell people about this. We should evangelize about this because we were blind and now we can see we should tell our story. And so they set up this church and they decide to call it the touchy church because they were touched. And so they're, they're singing and maybe they're singing, when I feel the touch. Anyway, whatever they're singing. And um, and they're singing and they're celebrating and they're worshiping and then this other guy comes along and he goes what's going on he said oh well we were blind and then we, Jesus touched us and now we can see isn't that amazing and this guy goes that's amazing that happened to me too and they go oh my goodness you should come and join our church and he goes I'd love to join your church isn't it amazing when when Jesus touches you and he goes oh it's so lovely when Jesus touches you and then the guy goes and then when he touches you the second time, and the first guy's go, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean the second time? You don't need, there's no need for a second touch. There's only one touch. It's, we only believe in the one touch of Jesus. You can't touch you a second time. Go, but no, but Jesus touched me a second time. The first time I could only partially see in the second time. Then I could see fully. And he go, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We only believe in one touch of Jesus. 
And then the guy goes, well, I'm sorry, actually, if you haven't had the second touch, if you haven't received a second touch, then I probably shouldn't be church with you anyway because we're the church of the second touch. And he goes to set, him, goes to set himself up with a, as the church of the second touch. And then this other guy comes along, this guy comes along, and he's going, oh, what's going on? They go, oh, well, we were blind, and now we can see. And he goes, that's amazing, that happened to me too. And he goes, oh, isn't it amazing when, uh, when he touches you? And he goes, oh, it's so amazing when he touches you. And when he spits on you, and he goes, spits on you? Oh, yeah, Jesus spat on me. I, he spat on me. I was spat on by Jesus. And he goes, I'm oh, sorry, no, we don't believe Jesus would spit in public. We think Jesus is very respectable. And he goes, no, I'm sorry. To be honest, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, I probably can't be part of your church anyway. And he goes to set himself up with the church of the Holy Spirit. So now we've got the church of the first touch. We've got the touchy church, the church of the second touch. And we've got the church of the Holy Spirit. And we've got three churches. So where does the fourth guy go who wasn't touched once, certainly wasn't touched twice, wasn't spat on, there was no mud, there was no washing? Which church does he go to? And I think that it's really important in this time, some of the words that are coming through are about unity. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I think there is an opportunity at the moment for us to work in unity. Maybe some of the walls, some of the barriers that have been here between churches are just going to come tumbling down along with everything else. And there is an opportunity for us to work together as the church of Christ, all with our own story, but all with a commonality in our story. We were blind, and now we can see. So let us be a church that is united. So then we move on. It says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, verse 8, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 no. He only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. I, always went, I don't know how to read that. I've been, I've been playing around with this. Does he go, I, I am in fact the, the self-same person? Is he, is he quite proper? Is he quite together? Or is he, is he a bit more just really excited? Like, no, 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 it's me, it's me, it's me. Or is he like a little bit more gangster and he's like, I am the man. Is that how we read that? I'm not quite sure how we read this text. But anyway, however, you, however it works best for you, or if it sounds best for you, this guy's going, I am the man. And they're like, oh, okay. So then, well, then how then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. What a brilliant exchange that is. Do we all feel better for, having, for understanding that exchange? You've got to wonder a little bit of why, why that's in there. But the thing for me that I pull out of that is, this guy has been in that community his whole life. He's been blind his whole life. He's not been able to see anybody his whole life. And Jesus comes along and heals him. And these people he's been spending his whole life in community with can't decide whether it's him or not. These people are going, is that him? Is that the same guy? And he's going, no, 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 it's me, it's me. Or I am the man. Or however, whatever that looks like. He's going, no, 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 it's me. What's striking about this is they were all blind. They were all blind. Because even while they had the gift of sight, 
they didn't see this man. And when Jesus healed them, healed him, maybe he healed them all a little bit. Who are the people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, across the street, who we are blind to? Who we've been living alongside them for however long and we don't see them. Maybe there is an opportunity in the midst of this crisis for us to all rediscover our sight of who's across the street and who's living next door. Go and love your neighbours. So we move on, verse 13. Now it gets crazy. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, hmm, but on the other hand, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Or does he go, he's a prophet. Or, I, don't, I, don't, but the, I think what the man is saying there is, God's involved in this somehow because I was blind and now I could see. So then in verse 18 it says, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. These religious leaders are going, no, no, I mean, this just cannot be. This just doesn't make sense. This just doesn't compute. We're going to have to go and get the guy's parents in. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now he can see? Do you see what we do? If things don't make sense to us, if things are uncomfortable for us, we try and rationalize it away. They're going, what if he was never blind in the first place? This guy that has been in their community the whole time, blind the whole time, suddenly they're going, the only way this can make sense is if he wasn't blind in the first place, which is a ridiculous proposition. But they brought his parents in, but the parents are nervous. So they say, well, we know he is our son. I mean, that's an extraordinary start, isn't it? We know he is our son. The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They wanted to exclude people. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. They don't mean, but give God glory to God by telling the truth. They say, give glory to God. What they meant was, give glory to God by telling us what we want to hear. Maybe that's something we do too sometimes. So give glory to God by telling the truth, he said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Again, he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> like, boom! He's just like, he's bringing the attitude to these Pharisees. Like, how 
how in their face is he? He's kind of going, look, stop. You keep asking me these questions. I'm not going to give you any answer. But what, do you want to be disciples? Like he is playing them. And then they heard insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. But as for this guy, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. When it says you were steeped in sin at birth, they kind of go, you're an illegitimate child. I mean, they, they actually... Sorry, kids. They swear at him here. And they're going, oh, no, no, we don't have to listen to you. They write him off. We don't have to listen to you. They are so terrified of the evidence that's in front of them. They are so shaken by what they're seeing. They are doing everything they can to disprove what Jesus has done because the reality is so uncomfortable. You see, isn't this remarkable? The thing they had been waiting for and praying for their whole lives the return of the Messiah, the kingdom of God to come, and they couldn't see it. Who's blind now? Legalism, religiosity, they could not let go of these things. Tradition, pride, power, position, control, money, comfort, privilege, culture. They couldn't let go of these things. It was too uncomfortable for them. What are the things that we can't let go of. So maybe we try to rationalize, maybe we try to write stuff off, maybe we try to go, no, 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 that's not God, that's not God, that's not God. What is it in this moment that God is saying, I need you to submit, I need you to surrender, I need you to allow the new to come. I need you to let go of some of your legalism and your religiosity and your tradition. I need you to let go of your pride your power, your position, your control, your money, your comfort, your privilege, maybe even your culture. Can we step into what we've been praying for and waiting for? Or are we going to miss it? What gets in our way? What do we need to let go of to step into this opportunity that is before us fully? The world has shifted. I don't think this is something that we get through and go back to normal. I think the other side of this, we're all changed. Our whole society has changed. And I think the church is changed. And we need to be brave enough to embrace the new. Two Chronicles, as I read before, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. My eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. One of the other things that strikes me about this story of this blind man is they're asking him all these questions. Well, who do you say he is? What's going on? Is he the Messiah, or how did he heal you? And they just... And what strikes me about this guy is he just tells his story. He just tells his story. He wasn't a theologian. 
He wasn't a lawyer with great arguments. He didn't have all the learning in the world. He wasn't an educated man. He didn't have all of this stuff at his fingertips. But he had his story. I was blind and now I can see. I think as we love our community, we are going to have all sorts of opportunities to tell our story. And you don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to have all the answers and a great lawyer, great at arguing points. You don't have to have any of that. Just tell your story. This is who I was, and this is who I am. And this is what Jesus has done in my life. Tell your story. We are the light of the world now. This is our time. We are, we are prepared for this. Tell your story. Love your neighbors. Tell your story. Pray for miracles. Be courageous. Let's, let's be the people who step out. Not recklessly. It's really important that we pay attention to what the government is saying. This is not some trivial thing that we're going to be through. This is a really serious um, virus that is going around. If anything, I've learned from the conversations I've been having this week with the various authorities, this is serious. We need to take heed of the advice. We need to social distance and we need to isolate. We need to not gather. But we can love we can reach out. We can be courageous to our neighbours who are in need, to our community who is in need. Love your neighbours. We can tell our story. We can, we can see the people across the street, maybe for the first time in our lives. We will be healed of our blindness in that area. Pray for the miracles. Pray for your neighbours and your community and your family and your leaders. Pray for our MPs. Pray for our government. Pray for the NHS. Pray for our council. Pray for the people who are leading and making the decisions. We can pray. And we can just not just pray blessing. We can pray for miracles. We can pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. We, be, we should be the light. We are called to be the light. We are called to be the church. Not gathering on a Sunday in one building, although it is beautiful to gather online like this, but to be the church in how we love, how we care for each other and how we care for our neighbours. This is our time now. We were made for this. Lord, I want to... I want to invite your spirit to to inspire us, to make our light shine brighter. I want to invite your spirit to work in us and heal us wherever we have blindness in our lives. Show us the people we couldn't see before. Wherever we need to surrender and submit and let go of, highlight those areas in our lives and give us the courage to let go and to surrender. Particularly those for whom change is really difficult. Lord, we pray for a special outpouring of your spirit. Particularly those who are anxious. 
overwhelmed, worried. We pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit. And Lord, we want to work with you to see good come out in all of this. We want to work with you to see your kingdom established. We want to work with you to see lives saved. We want to work with you to see communities restored. We want to work with you to see families renewed. And we invite you to lead us in new paths, to lead us in new ways, to lead us in new understandings of what it means to be church, what it means to be light, what it means to be hope, what it means to be love in our communities. Because this is our time now. This is what you have been preparing us for, Lord. And we want to see that tide of the new come in. We want to see that tide of renewal and revival across this land come in. We want to see your kingdom flow and burst into new expressions of life. We want to see your name glorified. We want to see your face recognized. We want to see you known. So let's worship. Amen.